Good morning, everybody. It's Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director, Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. This is our weekly economic and market commentary for the week beginning today, Monday, 26th of April, 2021. I hope that you, uh, if you want to, if you're interested in more frequent economic and market updates from me, you can follow me on LinkedIn, Herb Morgan, or Twitter at ETF underscore strategist.com. Of course, this is being brought to you either directly via an email link, which shows the slides that you're seeing, but many of you like to listen while driving. Weekly, this is now a podcast available on Apple, Spotify, and all of the other normal places you can find a podcast. Presentation has been prepared for use with both investors and financial advisors, each of whom, of course, are expected to make their own decisions, their own investment decisions. There's nothing in this podcast or presentation that should be treated as investment advice. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities. All of the information contained in this presentation is for informational purposes. There's no tax advice, et cetera, et cetera. You're on your own, folks. Okay, let's get straight into it. Last week, the S&P was about flat, down about 11 basis points, but we saw a big surge in mid-cap stock performance. Earnings were, were front and center, of course, last week, and they were quite good indeed. We're going to get to that as we progress through. Small cap stocks up a little bit. International developed and the ACWI as a whole, ACWI meaning all country world index, just marginally lower on the, on the week, despite good economic news and despite really good earnings. To me, that's okay, just a little bit of a consolidation after, of course, we, we all know we've had significant run-ups. And, of course, on a year-to-date basis, everything is looking good with mid- and small-cap stocks hovering around the 20%. That's right, 20% on a year-to-date basis. Uh, aggregate bond index gained about an eighth of a percent last week. Not a big deal there. Uh, still down for the year. Bond markets in a, as a whole, high yield, floating rate, slightly positive, longer dated treasuries on the rise, the slow, steady rise in the 10 and 20 and 25, 30-year yields. Down, of course, we, still, we, I, our team, still continues to believe the real return on longer dated treasuries this, for this year and really for the next five, maybe 10 years at real return, if you bought today, that's the return minus inflation. Uh, I think that number is going to be close to negative right now. So in other words, uh, longer dated treasury securities are probably overvalued in our opinion. We had a nice big move. We don't normally get one and a half percent moves. We don't even normally even mention the alternatives, but the IQ merger ARB index, which an ETF we invest in attempts to track that index, had a big week last week. And the reason for that is in the merger ARB world, you know, in a merger ARB deal, you're buying the company getting acquired, you're shorting either the company or the sector that's doing the acquiring, becomes sort of a market neutral product, low single digit returns. But what's happening is after the merger ARB index acquires these companies, puts them into the index that are being acquired, then we're getting these things called topping bids, where companies have come to a deal, reached a conclusion, yes, we're going to acquire you, yes, we're going to sell to you, and then suddenly an outside bidder comes in with a topping bid, and that's driving returns in that product for the last couple of weeks. So we're excited to see it. We, we're, we're happy about it. Uh, we didn't see it coming, but we're glad, of course, that it's here. Let's get into the economic reports that we got last week, because uh, across the board, they were good. Weekly initial claims for unemployment, which I tell you every week, right? I need to see it below 300,000 until, until I can say the jobs market is uh, healthy. 
So at uh, 547,000, we made progress. We were estimating 610,000. Continuing claims also down just a tad on the week. Progress, not there, need to go further. You can see there, obviously dipping down nowhere near that low 200,000 level that we were at prior to the COVID pandemic. We got existing home sales. Now they fell 3.7% and that was worse than expected, but that doesn't reflect a weak market for existing home sales. It's just a surge in prices. You all can go on Zillow and Redfin and you get excited about your balance sheet because your home value is going up. We're all doing it. It's fun. There's just no inventory, high prices, very difficult to get and buy homes. So even with the low rates uh, and the booming economy, uh, the, the volume of sales was down a little bit. You can see, though, it's still at pretty high levels compared to the last decade. So just down based on recent months. New home sales, though, bucked that trend. And in March, they were up about a 20%, 21% pace. The estimate was for 14. So this was just a you know, massive run-up. Uh, you can see the number there. That's a pace of over a million. We haven't been at a pace at over a million since before the housing crisis. This number exceeded the most optimistic forecast within the consensus of economists that report into, um, uh, into Bloomberg. Uh, though the negative from the report is builders are still complaining about input cost inflation, whether it's pipes, lumber, trusses, tile, granites, appliances, all of those things, doors that go into uh, home construction, they are really hitting the home builders. And the home builders are trying to pass those on, but if the, you know, if the buyer can't afford it, the buyer can't afford it. We also got flash or intra-month readings from Marquette on both manufacturing and services. And of course, both of those were sort of blow the doors off kind of numbers. The April Marquette manufacturing PMI rose to 60.6, just a shy below the estimate of 61. Uh, we got the services sector reading, which I'll show you in the next slide. But when you combine the two, the composite, they call it the composite PMI, that rose to the highest level since this series began. Now, Marquette is not as old as ISM. It's only been around since 09, but it has been around since 09, and things were pretty ugly there uh, in the middle of 09. They really started later in 09, but still, this number is really extraordinary. Just like the home builders, they're talking about inflationary pressures. Now, we're not seeing that yet in consumer prices, and this is going to become the $64 question for us for the rest of 21 and into 22, in my opinion. So investors need to be really thinking about whether or not companies are able to pass through that, uh, those price increases. Those input price, pricing pressures that they're seeing are very real due to supply shortages and shipping challenges. All you have to do to see this for yourself in real time is if you, if you buy as many things on Amazon as we do at the Morgan household, and there's just orders, there's just this list of orders in Amazon, and we're getting more and more notifications of delay. They say, would you like to cancel the order or continue to wait? Uh, little things, uh, um, uh, clothing, textile items, I have to wait until June. I ordered some, some garments <laughs> for June. Uh, a golf ball retriever we ordered the other day, you know, a little $20 thing to scoop the golf ball out of the lake. Uh, those are delayed, and so we're, 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 we were really good at shutting down. We're not quite as good as opening up. It's very difficult.
because of the backlog, the surge in demand. You give everybody money, right? You give everybody a check in the month of March, and they want to spend it, and the factories aren't quite ready to handle all of that. So that's manufacturing from Marquette. The, the flash services number from Marquette rose to 63, blew the doors off the estimate, which is an incredibly high number, 61. Anything above 50 is expansion. Also the highest reading since the series began in uh, the, la the latter part of 2009. This is one, two, three, nine consecutive month, uh, you know, monthly uh, increases. But again, back to price hikes. These price changes are the highest since the series began uh, you know, at 61. So these, these prices are having, you know, there, there's inflation. Let's just say it, call it what it is. It's out there. Earnings, phenomenal. Now, we knew earnings would be great, especially in a year-over-year comparison, right? You know, because a year ago in Q1, we were moving into the economic shutdown, the forced contraction that we took. Uh, in most or really all states and around the world to try to protect people from the uh, coronavirus pandemic. Still, the, the comparisons are coming in even better than the optimistic expectations. We've had through Friday about 121 companies reported, about 92 of those have beat expectations, about 26 have not. Some of the gains in earnings are kind of to be expected, right? This time a year ago, financials See, financials, a lot of their earnings are due to balance sheet changes, right? They write off the value of loans and they show a loss. But if suddenly the economy improves and those loans become more likely to be good as opposed to bad loans, then they, they have to write them back on. So there was a lot of that going on in the financials. Uh, but when you move beyond the financials, really all of the sectors were showing pretty phenomenal year-over-year uh, -year earnings growth. And we expect when this is all done based on pacing, you know, three weeks ago, we thought it would be about 25%. Now it's looking like it's closer to 35%. The only exception being, say, say like utilities, highly defensive sector. This week is going to be very busy. About half of the market capitalization of the S&P reports, 181 companies, big names like Apple Computer, right? Some of the big tech names are coming into play this week, and I expect those will have, you know, record uh, kind of results. It'd be crazy to want to try to get out or trade out ahead of what we think will all be very, very good. So really, uh, I don't think there's a lot of question about corporate earnings this quarter or even next quarter, but the big questions sort of longer term going forward are all about this rising input costs and these supply chain issues. Now, we know ultimately capitalism is this beautiful thing where the market responds and delivers what participants want. It does so on its own. Adam Smith referred to that as the invisible hand when he wrote The Wealth of Nations, the book that really spawned uh, the life, uh, the economic life that most of the world has now. This is capitalism. And we know those things will get worked out. But when Will the cost issues moderate? When, when, or how will they ultimately be able to get passed on to customers so that earnings are not impacted or negatively impacted? Uh, and so we just need to see the answer to that question. And I believe any sort of uh, instability we do get in the market is going to come based on two things in the coming months. One, what's the Fed communication look like? And I'm gonna talk about that shortly here, just about one more minute. And two, what ultimately does the earnings picture look like as a result of these supply chain and cost issues? Because it certainly isn't going to be a demand issue going forward. We expect just tremendous demand 
uh, as we continue and roll through 2021. All of this, of course, right now is causing analysts to continue to increase earnings estimates for the forward uh, quarters. So uh, peak earnings estimates were back in February of 2020 before the coronavirus shut down. We got to about $175 a share on the S&P. That got all the way down to the 125 range and now just surging back, surging back forward 12 months estimates today, just under $180 a share. This is peak earnings, but we expect, I expect that number. If I run this graph for you next week after these big names, uh, these 181 stocks that report this week, I think we're going to see the number even higher. And in the end, 2021 will be a very, very big year for, for corporate uh, earnings. The other big news last week was, of course, President Biden floating the $1.8 trillion American Families Plan. Now, of course, my phone rang. Many of you are investors. Many of you are concerned about tax rates and tax rates on capital gains, and I certainly understand that. But it is important to remember that the president doesn't make legislation. The Congress makes legislation, and this was him floating in advance what telling Congress what he'd like to see and what he would ultimately be willing to sign into law. It may not be at all, or it may not be what is ultimately uh, the sausage that comes out of the factory uh, in Washington, D.C. President Biden will have a joint address to Congress this week. It's interesting. The Fed meets this week. You know, we've got the Fed rate decision, which there won't be one, on Wednesday. We've got the president addressing the Congress on Wednesday. And he wants to spend a lot of money uh, on a lot of things. Now, this was billed as infrastructure, but really, um, I, I'm not sure they're going to continue to bill it as infrastructure because not that much of it is in infrastructure. There are hundreds of billion dollars to socialize child care, early child care, or government sponsors who prefer that term, but socialized government paid for child care, government paid for pre-kindergarten. Now, this is interesting because education is really delivered with a state funding model uh, in our country. We do have a Department of Education, right? It's not that old, it's only about 40 years old or so. But he's talking about putting federal dollars not only into child care, which is pre-kindergarten, pre but then paying for pre-kindergarten, paying for family leave, and socializing the community college system. Now, these are owned and run by the states. How will the states feel about that? Would they like it, not like it? But he's talking about a major, major move economically uh, to the left. Whether or not all of this or any of this comes is, is another story. Now, it's also true that in the United States, when you have big legislation like this, there is law that suggests that you have to find ways to pay for it. So you, so you can't just assume on a stimulus package, you can assume a deficit. But here you have to say, here's how we pay for it. So the Congressional Budget Office will score it. And they already kind of know in advance what to expect. They say, we're going to pay for it by raising taxes on corporations and higher earning uh, Americans, those earning over $400,000 a year. So they want to raise the top marginal income tax bracket from 37 to about 39.6. Recall that these folks also pay 3.8% Medicare surtax. So that would put the top marginal income tax bracket at 43.4%. Now, remember, um, most states have a state income tax rate. So places like California, where many of you live, and New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, where many of you live, you add in the state tax rate, and this will put the American income tax marginal rate at 
for the ad amount of income over that level. It's not their entire rate. I get that. But it will put it north of 50%. The concern from an economic standpoint is for, for investors, should be, and is, will that disincentivize those people at that level who are many times job creators, hires, small business owners, et cetera, will that discourage capital formation and employment at a time when we have an employment deficit of about eight to 10 million. In addition, he says he'd like to eliminate that favorable 20% capital gains tax on long-term capital gains for anybody earning over 400,000 and just put them right up to that 43.4. Again, add in those state rates and you're talking about tax on capital. So this is money that was risked. This isn't just earnings. This is I'm going to take a chance, start a business, try to build a company. I may lose or I may not. But this, if this were to happen, I can say I think pretty definitively that it would it would significantly cut jobs and it would be a very, very significant negative to um, to the capital markets and to uh, risk equity oriented portfolios. In addition, he's talking about increasing the corporate tax rate. So should we panic? Should we do anything? Should we make a change in our portfolio? Uh, no, I don't think we should. First of all, this plan was immediately met with fiery opposition uh, from from obviously the, um, the Republican Party, but many within the Democratic Party said, uh, uh-uh. and it's not like the, the president has these massive supermajority in either the House or the Senate. He does have, his party does have 50 in the Senate plus the vice president to break a tie. They have a majority slim, and the House majority is somewhat slim as well. So I don't think it's, uh, this is necessarily a done deal. We have to see the legislation come out of the House go to the Senate, go back and forth, and ultimately get to the president for signature. So for that reason, I am not making any changes in the portfolios. That being said, we are concerned, and we are watching it very, very closely. What we are watching more closely, and I think what it, which is more important for the short run for investors, is what the Federal Reserve is doing. Uh, in a statement, first of all, there's a Fed meeting this week where we don't think they're going to raise rates. They think they're going to continue buying $120 billion a month. And I don't even think they're going to give us much guidance. I think it's going to be kind of a nothing burger this week. Uh, quite frankly, the president's speech to the joint uh, session will be more consequential. But the Fed is going to start getting very consequential. Jay Powell, in an interview last week, said, look, uh, we're really happy about the March job gains. It was about a million jobs. But we want to see... Uh, we want to see a string of months like that to show progress towards our goals. His goal is to increase employment. We had 158 million, 159 million Americans working in February of 2020. That number plummeted. It is now coming back. It's still at 151. So call it an 8 million jobs deficit. If we see uh, ads of, you know, that would be another eight months. Uh, we could see some big – I think we're going to see bigger ads in April, quite frankly. I think we'll see $2 million plus in April, May. So I think we'll get there a little sooner than he does. But um, he's got pretty good data, and he's a pretty smart economist. Um, so what are the likely steps? What does the Fed do? Because that's what's going to really impact risk assets in the immediate term, in my, in my opinion. We think, I believe, we're going to see employment surge in April, May, and June. I think the Fed will hold off 
communicating much until the mid-year congressional testimony. That's where the Fed chair goes and speaks to both the House and the Senate on two separate days. And then there's that big meeting in Jackson Hole with central bankers from all over the world, uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. That's usually in August. And I think, remember, there's a, the Fed has to taper before they tighten, right? So we have a long way to go from an investor standpoint, right? Tapering meaning reducing that $120 billion a month that they're purchasing. Uh, they need to get that slowly down and then start to get in these very slow rate hikes, 25 basis points. On top of all of that, history suggests that markets don't begin to re react or shudder until such time uh, as you're, you're, you're 18 months beyond the initial rate hike. So uh, we're not in any big hurry here. We still think the bond side of the equation is very overvalued. Um, but the one thing that could throw a wrench in all of this plans, these plans are these inflationary pressures. I mentioned them to you at the beginning of the podcast, the beginning of the commentary. If those continue and they continue to surprise to the upside, the Fed may possibly be forced to either act sooner or to hike bigger. And I think that could cause some pause in the markets. Again, I'm not ready to make a move based on that, but we need to be watching it closely. So this week, earnings, 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 and some economics reports, economic reports, durable goods came in today already. House price uh, from FHA and Case Schiller on Tuesday, consumer confidence, yawn. Uh, FOMC, yawn. Jobless claims, gosh, let's get it down. We need to see it down. First quarter GDP growth, I think it'll be closer to 7%. I really think it was, it was, it was outstanding. Home sales, employment costs, that could surprise to the upside, that could be a negative. Um, personal income and spending, Yes, massive numbers because we gave everybody a check with the stimulus payments, the spend, and they spent it. That's what we intended. It happened. It's over. Uh, so it'll be a bump in that road. Not all that consequential from a long, longer-term perspective. Chicago PMI and consumer sentiment, but again, earnings, 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 earnings. Maybe something from left field uh, from the Fed uh, after their meeting this week, but I really, really doubt it. Well, thanks, everybody. Remember, the name of the podcast is Slaying Bulls and Bears. We try to make the complex and complicated simple and sensical on a weekly basis, available at all your podcasting favorite places. I uh, say thank you for turning, tuning in. We'll talk to you again next week.